UX Podcast Episode 266. I'm James. And I'm Pat. And this is UX Podcast. Balancing business, technology, people and society every other Friday for over a decade with listeners in 199 countries and territories from Peru to South Korea. We are diving into a really niche topic today. Uh, And I love when you and I geek out, James, about something that really is fascinatingly complex, but it's just one piece of the puzzle that we as UX designers have to pay attention to. Uh, And I think you brought it up to me first. It's target size. Yeah, target size. Now, well, first off, what is target Mm. size? Uh, Not necessarily the case that everyone understands what that means. Um, But basically, it's a size of the thing we're interacting with. So it's a link or a button and maybe something else. Yeah, yeah, drop down, whatever. The thing the thing you need to click, touch, press um to do something on a website um is what what this is. And uh, you know, so we'll all know that sometimes um the area you can click on or interact with is maybe bigger than it visually looks like. Right. Or could even be could even be smaller in some cases. Um but but that size of that clickable area is really relevant. Um and I, you know, if you want to take, I suppose, the the analogy to this in the in the physical world, if we need to interact with something that's too small, it gets really awkward. Right. If it's smaller than my finger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the case for everyone. I mean, if smaller things are more fiddly to mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, I mean, I, I remember when the kids were smaller anyway, that if um, if there was a, an object, when I had a pin or a paper clip or something like that on mm. the side, and, you know, I don't always have nails. You know, sometimes I don't have any nails whatsoever that are left. And so so you're trying to kind of, you're grappling at this little pin and you can't get to them with your fingers. So you have to call in someone with smaller hands who can actually <laughs> pick up that pin from the surface. Um, so, or you have to take a tool out of your pocket or find something to grab it with. I mean pair of pincers mm-hmm. now i'm thinking how do we re- redesign paper clips to actually be able to pick them up <laughs> magnetic fingers pa. ah <laughs> we, we, place ma- we place magnets under all our fingertips so that we can know that would be really hard work because you suddenly you just mm. you'd be walking around with so many paper clips on your fingers you wouldn't know what to do and that's just making it difficult difficult for you and i mean some people <laughs> have tremors and some people don't have fingers and some people use their feet to pick things up so there's a lot of variety in how people actually do interact with the real world and, of course, with the corresponding digital systems. Yeah, because, I mean, when I'm sat here now at my desktop um, computer, and there I'm using a mouse, a more, yeah. you know, traditional-looking mouse. Mm. But we all know these different types of pointing devices. Um, a, a traditional-looking mouse is just one of them. Um, and with touchscreens, then you're using your, your actual finger probably, mm. to interact with them, if you don't have a pointer, um, even with that touchscreen. Exactly. And it's so a huge variation. It is. And some of the examples that, that uh, are given by uh, the web content accessibility guidelines for the benefits of actually paying attention to target size, 
uh, is the fact that you're sometimes on a subway, which is shaking. And so you're trying to tap something in your phone, and it's actually difficult to tap. And uh, I mean, there are so many, but I mean, there are users who have difficulty with fine motor movements, despite not being on the subway. And, and sometimes I see a lot of people actually also tapping on, on their screen and getting frustrated and saying, as mm -hmm. people do, there's something wrong with my finger. And so they keep tapping it really, really hard back and forth. And of course, it's going to be easier if the target size is actually bigger. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes things, uh, I mean, and on the web, on the web pages with, with a normal desktop computer, sometimes the mouse jumps. You know, yes. like, I mean, I've got an optical, optical mm -hmm. mouse. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that light reading goes a bit weird. So I might have perfectly okay motor control mm -hmm. to, to drag my mouse pointer across the screen. But depending on the light conditions in the room and, and you know, and the surface I'm using, then sometimes it'll just jump. And that might kind of jump, and I click, mm -hmm. and don't realize it's jumped to somewhere else than I expected. So I click in the wrong place. Right, and, and, and you, you know you can change settings for your mouse, and sometimes that people don't know they can change setting, and their, their mouse is set to move really, really fast. So they move it a tiny bit, and the cursor just moves really fast across the screen. And people don't know how to change that, which means they're going to have a hard time everywhere on their computer. My my son, he's in, he's he's really into the into gaming. Mm -hmm. Yours is one of yours is mm -hmm. at least per two. And his mouse, <coughs> his mouse is a gaming mouse, and he has his settings on his laptop set up for optimal gaming and clicking. Yeah, it's not optimal mm -hmm. browsing stuff. <laughs> it's <laughs> really I can't use his computer to browse mm -hmm. normal web pages. Mm -hmm. I have to tell him to do it. So, what's going on now? Why why are we talking about target size right now? There are changes coming, right? Yeah, this is a good point. Why it's become mm. why we've brought it up now mm. in particular is because it's going to be there's going to be some there's going to be some changes to the WCAG guidelines this summer. And whereas there has been a criteria in these accessibility guidelines for target size for a while, so VCAG um, 2.1 that did have a target size recommendation, but it was only included in the kind of the triple A section. Yeah, which is which the one I I see that a lot of companies avoid, even paying uh, attention it, to. In, it's, in my world, most of the time, you're not expected to uh, fulfill them. In fact, in the guidelines themselves don't—they don't say you should no. meet them all. It might not be a good thing to meet all of them. And the EU For web directive, right? Yeah. The EU web directive actually talks about the double A that you need to comply with double A, but not necessarily triple A in all contexts. Yeah. So this summer, mm. um, two point two is coming out, and what they've done in that, or planning to do in that, um, is introduce a new criteria, which kind of fills a gap because you know the target size is a really good thing to to consider, and the target size that was in the in the um, guidelines was effectively treated as optional by a lot of people. Mm. And it was quite a large target um, size. We'll get into the details later. Whereas now they're introducing something that's a, a, a minimum, a bare minimum target size that's okay. Yeah. And this is going to be double A. So this is something that's going to fall into must-do lists for an awful lot of products, websites, and, and um, well, effectively apps too, although the web content accessibility guidelines they're not necessarily designed you know, specifically for, for mobile uh, apps 
Unless but, it's a web um, app. Uh, exactly. Well, <laughs> it's complex. Depends. That's probably an entire different topic show when we talk about the kind of granularity of like, when is a web page a web page? When is an app an app? Um, <laughs> not easy to work out. So that's why it's real. It's going to be, a, it, we're going to have this on our plates as designers um, from this summer onwards. If you haven't come into um, contact with target size or haven't considered target size, you're going to have to after this. Definitely. Uh, so what are the target sizes? <laughs> what is it that we're actually talking about? It's not as easy as you may think. <laughs> well, well, no, Barry, before you scare them, look, what, we'll, we'll do the easy bit and say what the guidelines say they are in, yes. um, in CSS pixels. <laughs> right. So um, the, the target size guidelines, the AAA one, which, what was the number of that one, Barry? Is it 255? Five, five? Uh, 255, yeah. yes. 2.5.5. Yeah, that's the guideline. And in that guideline, it recommends a target size of 44 by 44 CSS pixels. And now, James is saying CSS pixels. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. <laughs> the new guideline that's coming in 2.2, um, which that number is... Two, 258. 258. Thank you, Um That's going to be 24 times 24 CSS pixels. Now, I'm, I'm still going to get to hold on with all the different various measurement things here, because just want to explain a little bit more about what that 24 times 24 means. It isn't necessarily the clickable area. It is the area between clickable areas, effectively. Oh, I see. So, so, yeah. so you have a link, but then you have another link somewhere else, but it's quite close, but you actually need to have that distance between them. Yeah, so if we take like a button, a small button. Um, now, if you have a 20 by 20 pixel button, and then right next to it, you have another 20. So it's like a, like a toolbar mm. of loads of icons. And these 20 by 20s are next to each other. Mm. Then that fails. But if you have a 20 by 20 button with four pixels padding, mm. so making the whole, you know, the, the space to the, you know, from one extreme to the next button is mm. 24, then you've made enough target size for your button. Interesting. But what if I have a tiny, tiny button uh, that's hard to click because I can't find it on the screen because I'm shaking? That's a good question. Mm. I don't know how small your actual clickable area is allowed to be, to be honest. Um, but... You know, ideally, you want to be you want to making the clickable area, I think, at least twenty four by twenty four. And then, if you're if you're adding padding around that on top of that, then then that's going to be um, that's going to be just uh, added added padding and extra bonus to it. Exactly. So that, that I actually wasn't aware of that. I, I actually thought it had to be the clickable area had to be twenty four by twenty four. No, it's mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the draft um, um, understanding success criterion mm -hmm. two five eight target size minimum. Mm -hmm. Then, um, then it does give some you know, reasonably clear examples of what's pass and fail there, um, and and does clearly show you that twenty by twenty plus four would actually pass. Um, so you you can actually do it. Yeah, which also so then it still brings into question how small can it be and still have a padding around it, uh, which may, means that it isn't entirely clear in the guidelines. You know, I, I suspect there's details there that we, we haven't kind of. There's a lot, there's, like you said, this is a lot to unpack, and there's a lot of details to get into. And you know, you quite quickly, when you're talking about this, get down into 
um, programming or you get into CSS or you're getting to kind of measurements and, and HTML, mm. it, it, we, we do quickly get down to the, the technical side of stuff. Mm. Um, so like even if you include a button on a picture, for example, then you've got to make sure you've got, um, well, the, you can't kind of have it in a clickable um, target. So you can't embed a button in a button or a clickable thing, because then you're gonna you're not gonna have the the spacing between stuff. Right. Does that make sense? I think I made that complicated. Well, I think uh, what you need to realize is that there is there are exceptions, and one important exception is because I know people are thinking, so I have links in my text, and I, do I have to make them bigger? And that means that the line uh, line distance between lines will actually increase. No, exceptions are. If the target is in a sentence or a block of text, it actually is uh, exempt from this guideline. There is another exception too, mm. and that's if um, the the spacing of the targets is essential to what's being conveyed. That's actually quite a difficult thing to interpret. You know, as soon as you get into like essential and information being conveyed mm. then we we get into the the more subjective muddy waters even though the guidelines aren't supposed to be subjective you when you start using that kind of language you get into subjective discussions um but you're right there are there are situations where you you um you can be um allowed to meet the criteria or not be not fail the criteria despite having smaller target sizes some of the I know exceptions and other uh, criteria are around timed tests and, and things that are like specifically have to be a certain way. Like if you have measurements on a diagram for architects, I don't know. It's it could be it, they're really really specific. So mm. you'll likely know if they apply to you. <laughs> yeah. Now I mean it's not like we said that, that this isn't new. Target size is not something new. Um, it's been in the the WCAG guidelines for a while. Um, but beyond that. Target size is something that's been included in other design systems and recommendations for a, you know, a fair while. And there's an excellent article by Adrian uh, Rosselli about target size. And in his article, he actually does do some of the, the heavy lifting and finds some of the good examples and, or existing examples of places and recommendations that are out there. And one of them is Nielsen Norman. And they did some research um, a little while ago, talking about a couple of years ago now, 2019, uh, about tar uh, touch targets on touchscreens. Mm. And the summary of their recommendation in that is one centimeter by one centimeter for interactive elements um, to support, and I'll quote from the page here, adequate selection time and prevent fat finger errors. Mm. Well, then... Mm. I don't Even like Apple. that term. I don't like that term, fat finger errors. No, it does. That it's kind of, it's, it's finger shaming. It is. Um, but, yeah, the, the Nielsen, Norman rec Nielsen Norman recommendations normally get a lot of traction, and, well, they do have their limitations and issues. But beyond that, um, Microsoft, they have a recommendation. Apple has a recommendation. Android has a recommendation. Mm. The BBC, um, in their... Um, their um, design system has a recommendation. And they all vary slightly. Yeah. And they all use different terminology for what you were referring to previously as CSS pixels, which means that... They use different scales. They're not yeah. even comparable 
always straight off. You you see you see something like Microsoft says 40 by 40 and Apple says 40 by 44 by 44 and they're not talking about the same thing. <laughs> no. Newton Norman they, they use centimeters. Mm. Um, the BBC um, actually says millimeters, but they do detail. They do give examples of what they expect that to be in CSS pixels as well. Yeah. Um, Microsoft, what do they say? Forty by forty effective pixels. I actually don't know what effective pixels are. Per. <laughs> I would actually have to Google that. I think it's very similar to CSS pixels. I think like, they're they're striving towards that because I we still haven't explained CSS pixels, have we? Uh, no, we, we haven't. And, and and Apple talks about points, and Android talks about device pixels. Uh, and all of this started, all of this problem started out, of course, when the density of screens started increasing. Uh, so the number of pixels per inch, or DPI, uh, actually increased. So... Normally, when you and I started out, of course, when you had a screen that was 1,024 by 800, that was the pixel size. Yep. When we worked on, mm. when we sized mm. something to 10 pixels, mm. it, it basically appeared as 10 pixels on your screen. Exactly. So if you had a smaller screen with the same resolution, then it would actually be smaller because the screen was smaller. Today, you have a density uh, where which can vary across different devices and tablets and, and phones and, and stuff. That means that the same, the pixels don't apply anymore. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a we've, we've, we've split into two layers. Mm. You've, I mean, you've, you've got the screen itself, which still does have pixels. Yeah. There's points of light on the display. Yeah. Um, but now they're living their own life. And you can have we on four points, four light pixels and the same space as you had one before. <laughs> yeah. So you have different types um, so of pixels. Yeah. So it's taking quite a long, it's, I think it's, it feels like it's taking quite a long time to get to the point where the web browsers themselves um, and the standards that they use to, to build web pages, where we can have a, use it, a unit we work with in the browser, which, um, which kind of stays st still. So, so mm. we can rely on it. Sort of. So, yeah. <laughs> as much as we can rely on anything. Yeah. So, so CSS pixels are becoming that thing where we can... You know, we can deal in that in mm. our CSS and web pages and so on, or Figma or whatever we're working with, mm. and that's going to translate to something which is scalable. You can zoom in and out on your web page using the browser. It adheres to to different mm, screens that attach to it, or even um, OS settings. There's a cascade of, of of settings now that pretty much works down to CSX pixels. Mm. Um, so I think it's 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 good that we're talking about CSS pixels from the um oh in the in the guidelines. Let's go that there's like seven variations that people use in different guidelines out there because that just makes the conversation really hard work. And the CSX pixels are actually trying to also understand what distance is normal for you based on if you're using a tablet or a phone or a screen. Which means if you, if you have a tablet it's usually holding it closer to your face, which means that CSS pixels often try to actually uh, compensate for that, which is crazy, yeah. but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there with this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Well, what do we do, though? What can we do, though, Pai? We follow WCAG <laughs> in its most basic form. We start there. If, if WCAG in 2.2 in says that in, in level AA, you need to have 24 by 24 CSS pixels, that's what we start out with. 
if we start with that and look at all the others uh, and try to compare, in what scenario do we actually deviate from what other recommendations are saying? And we test. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Testing is a really crucial thing here because there's so many like variations, and um, you know, we say with fonts as well, big is better these days. And we've been, me and you have been, been through this 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 process now, where you know, first websites we did were probably like eight or nine mm. pix um, you know, px um, um, font size, yeah. and you know, it keeps getting bigger <laughs> and bigger. And you know, now you're saying like do it eighteen or do it twenty on mm. mobile. I mean, you know, it just gets bigger all the time as we're learning more and kind of understanding more about what we should be doing. As us web developers uh, are, are also getting older. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that too. Yeah, and dark modes, light modes. But um, so here, you know, the twenty-four by twenty-four is a really, it's 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 a useful base number that mm. when we when we're designing stuff, we can now look at things and go, okay, I'm suggesting something now. I'm sketching something which is 20 by 20, are probably going to end up being that. Or mm. is that? Mm. Ooh, how can I make that a slightly bigger target size? Yeah. And it can be everything from you know, like the, the, a, a row in your drop down to a, 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 a cross to close something or you know, um, yeah, buttons you've included somewhere or you know, menus, anything it could be. You've got to now have that kind of bit of reflection and think, okay, how big is it? Mm. But I also have to say that, I mean... It, 24 by 24 is the minimum. I mean, if you yeah. go to level three, triple uh, A, then they actually say double that. Yeah. 48 by 48 or 44 by 44. So that means that actually don't always strive for the bare minimum. See where you can actually have it bigger than that because that will help more people. Yeah. Mm. Now there's, there's a couple of useful tools mm. for testing this or checking with this. Now you can, um, in Adrian's article, he links to a, um, a bookmarklet where it creates a, um, a box, so you can activate it on a web page, and it creates a um, a forty four by forty four box around your mouse pointer, so you can see what will be included in that or should be included in the mm -hmm. click um, in the target size area, um, which is useful. Um, you course you can also right click and do inspect in um, Chrome and, and Edge mm. um, and Firefox and probably most of the other ones too um, to see the computed values of various elements of your page. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which um, you might feel comfortable doing that, and that's also useful to do. And that needs to be part of your routine, really. And and I mean, it's it's an excellent tool for testers, of course. It's you can really quickly ascertain if it's close to not being acceptable. Mm -hmm. Well, bigger, yeah. Oh, bigger is better. I mean, it's 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 like we've um, oh, start big and see see what works. Test it and see what works. Um, but that's going to get some. Like, you're going to get some um, fight back, I think, in some areas there, Pat. Exactly. You always get the pushback, don't you? Because too much white space. People I won't think... understand what you're doing. Why are why yeah. you making it that big? That's totally unnecessary, isn't it? Oh, this. Oh, this. Like you think. Yeah. Oh well, I can't. Can't we fit a fifth one in there? Or can't we put an extra, an extra button there? Or can't we do this? You know, can't we cram this in there? Mm -hmm. and, oh, I think. I think. You know, that's going to be. Um, off the screen can't we make everything smaller so it's on the screen or you know there's, there's going to be a lot of conversations around really do we have to make things that big or make mm. gaps that big and what makes it even more complex of course is that we have responsive web pages now so mm. if your if your elements actually flow below each other they're still going to have to have that same uh, target size and that also adds to complexity when people say they're looking at the web page and they're saying, well, why do we only have five links here? But it's actually because 
<laughs> as usually is the case nowadays. Well, most people actually use our web page on mobile. So uh, if you look at it on mobile, you'll see why we made it that way in, in the web as well yeah. or on the desktop. I think we're going to get into that um, discussion again about um, aesthetics and accessibility. And, oh, and yeah, definitely. What, what looks good compared to what is easy to use or you know, suitably easy to use for everyone, mm. inclusive for everyone. And it also probably means that you actually need to reduce the number of elements on your page, uh, I'm going to assume, uh, which is when we, when we went from desktop to mobile, we did a lot of that, and people said, oh, wow, it's so it looks so good, and now we're going to get more of that. That's a good point, Pat, because ultimately, if, if you've been... You've been designing stuff that is smaller than oh, 44 by 44, or definitely smaller than 24 mm -hmm. by 24. Then you have you have less effective real estate that's visible on the page when you increase the target size of, of elements. Mm. So you're right that that means you're pushing something out of the boat yep. if if you're increasing everything, um, which isn't a bad thing because it may it, then maybe you do get the chance to, to think again about. The flow of the content on your page, the structure of your page, uh, what's included and not included, and where it's positioned on it. And uh, it, it really, I think that gives an incentive to do even more user research, to actually really, really make sure that you're putting the right stuff up front. Which is always good to do, because then you can um, negate the whole, well, it works for me, mm. which I guess we've all got at some point as a, as, as a bit of um, you know, fight back from changes. Exactly. I'm looking at that list of possible objections you made, James, and it's like mm -hmm. too much white space, make it smaller, so we can, so like you were saying. And the one I, I love and hate works fine for me, which I hear in all sort of contexts. But I mean, I don't, I mean, it's, it's so difficult. How do I respond to this? How do I, as a designer, uh, empower myself to actually speak up and say, well, this is the reason? Because I mean, accessibility, as we know, it's so often pushed to the side or said, we take that later or we change it later. I think that's one of the hardest questions to fight back to, especially when it comes from someone maybe more senior or in a in a higher decision-making position. Yeah. If if not senior, then um, you know a product manager or a, a, a manager or oh, someone influential in an organization is kind of check something for mm. themselves and say it works. So wh why do we need to spend more time doing something? It's always an educational thing, I think, I believe, uh, and making aware. Uh, and I think we actually do need to show users having trouble. Uh, that's always been the go-to for me when I get pushback. If I can show a user having trouble, these people actually do say in the end, well, why haven't we, why haven't we fixed this before? <laughs> yes. And then it becomes their decision, and that's okay with me. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, of course, if you do... If you do manage to change something, then if you've got before and after data for the change, yes. For example, if mm. you increased, you know, the the, uh, the the size of items in your drop down on on some point of the, uh, in the website, then if you can see maybe failure rates on that flow, and then you mm. change it to bigger ones, and you see an increased success rate on the same uh, form page flow, or whatever, then you've got real evidence to. Um, to, to add exactly like you said about doing usability testing and having real evidence from real users. I mean, mm. if you've got the data to help you, then 
It makes your it makes your discussion discuss, discussion yeah makes your discussions easier yeah and more convincing and sometimes it's not just the data unfortunately you can have a piece of paper with the data on it but if you can show video of people having trouble that's always so much more convincing uh, so yeah it makes it harder sometimes to to get that uh, in front of people but it it really helps as well because also video you can actually send without and people usually watch it <laughs> it really works. But it also brings to the point uh, the fact that you actually also need to be listening and having uh, performance indicators regarding this stuff as well, because you will miss some stuff. As we said, it's really, really complex. There are so many devices. There are new devices coming to market. Uh, you will miss some stuff. So you always need to be checking and, and, and keeping an ear, ear out to, to hear what people are having trouble with. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And also, I think I think the size of clickable elements is something that's possibly going to end up lower down the list than... Mm position than copy yeah and if you're talking about like optimizing certain things you know you're gonna have discussions about what text to put on a button um and also where to put it probably before you're talking exactly you know specifically about what size to make it mm. i'm being presumptuous new now but mm. um I, yeah i can imagine there is a pecking order mm. to these things that a lot of people have to deal with mm. I realize this is one of those shows where I'd love to get some feedback from the listeners where you actually, you've stumbled upon this type of problem, how you've solved it, how you've argued, uh, what questions you may still have after listening to this. Uh, I mean, it's it's such an interesting thing to actually dive into and we should do more of these. We dive into specific areas uh, of not just the WCAG, but there are so many other types of guidelines out there. Yeah, I'd love to hear mm -hmm. stories from people who've been successfully working yes. with <laughs> large target areas for a while now and have experience of that and mm -hmm. seen the benefits of it. Yes. It'd be really nice to see. Because clearly it doesn't help to make things smaller. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's probably one a good thing to wrap up on, Pat. I mean, yes. You know, if, this, if you really don't want to get your head around all these different you know, scales, measurements and numbers, at the end of the day... If you, if you can make something slightly bigger, you make it slightly bigger. You don't make it slightly smaller. <laughs> Recommended listening after this then, Pav. Right. We've got episode 228, The Aesthetic Accessibility Paradox, uh, where we talk about the balance between this, what you were mentioning before, actually, in the show. Oh, you mentioned it slightly. Yeah. Uh, between visually appealing and accessible, because we, that conversation always pops up. Uh, and there are some really good quotes uh, from from that show that you should actually, you should actually listen to that. <laughs> of course, otherwise we wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and our volunteers that help us with this, the show uh, they are really are a fantastic help, and you know we we get hours of help from all our volunteers during the year, and we have currently two teams of volunteers helping us. One team helps us with checking our transcripts before we publish them. And then another team, they take turns in helping us actually publish the finished transcripts. So what we've decided to do now is opening up to a third team. One, this new team is going to be one which will help us with the links in the show notes. We're looking for people who will be able to listen to the episode, possibly even in advance, and note down the relevant links they've heard or found or, or been inspired to look up during the conversation so that we can add them to the show notes when we publish it. If you'd like to be part of that team, then email hey at uxpodcast.com and you can use the Swedish hey or you can use the English hey. What's the difference <laughs> between those, Pat? 
can you even hear the difference? Well, I can hear the difference, of course. Are you cool? Yeah, of course. The, the, the Swedish hey has a J. The English hey. H-E-J, yeah. English hey has a Y. H-E-Y. I love how organized you are with the teams. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, I only organized it now when I wrote this little script to do. Remember to keep moving. <laughs> See you on the other side. So, James, I went to the zoo and I saw a baguette in a cage. You went to the zoo and saw a baguette in a cage? <laughs> yeah. At first I was confused, but then the zookeeper told me it was bred in captivity. Oh.